0: Aren't you glad he didn't stay there? I said, Aren't you glad he didn't stay there? Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, if you would go back to Leviticus chapter 12, not that I'm asking you to turn there, but we have the precedent for that in Leviticus 12 where they would bring the male, but they would bring a lamb uh, if they could afford it, a lamb. And then if they were poor, they would bring... What Mary brought here, the dove um, before the Lord, as well as the pigeons. And I find it interesting that here it is, the Lamb of God. Mary was too poor to bring her own physical lamb, but she did bring the lamb that the scripture says, was slain from the foundation of the earth. He brought, she brought the Lamb of God and presented him, first of all, before the Lord and then brought this gift of doves and pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. How would you like to have that said about you, talking about a legacy? Simeon, he's that righteous and devout guy. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning the coming of the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon takes this child in his arms and he praises God saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have appeared prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentile and for the glory of your people Israel. It's in a powerful sight. It's a powerful demonstration, again, of this wasn't just a normal baby. We have this man that the Holy Spirit, part of God, the third part of the Trinity, as we refer to him, came and he spoke to this man, Simeon, and said, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Christ. And I imagine many, many babies came and went throughout Simeon's life. And can you imagine being Simeon every time he goes to the temple? Is this the one? Is that little boy the one? Is that the one? But this particular time, the Holy Spirit speaks to Simeon and says, this is the guy. I'm imagining he's up in years because he's ready to give up the ghost from the sound of his opening statements. Wow, finally, Lord, I can, I can die. I can go, go on to Abraham's bosom. He's kind of excited about that, but he says, But you've allowed me to see the salvation of Israel. And the child's father, in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled that was said about him. Then Simon, or Simeon, blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul. Those are powerful words right there. Imagine being Mary and hearing these words from Simeon. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. That's probably not what every mom wants to hear about their child. He's going to cause a falling of many in Israel and a rising of many in Israel. And he will be a sign that will be spoken so wonderfully about. He'll be a sign that will be spoken against. The persecution of Christ is already prophesied in just the eighth day of his life. He will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And that statement there, that prophetic word was really in reference to the cross. When Jesus' side was pierced with a a sword or a spear and the scripture says the water and blood gushed out and he 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 it was their form of their last form of signifying that this this man is dead when the water gushed out it was a symbol that he was dead they didn't have to break his legs he was already dead and mary watching that was like her own heart being pierced Moms, you understand when your children get hurt what that feels like. Mary watching Jesus being pierced after being beaten literally to the brink of death and now having a spear driven in his side, Mary's heart was pierced as well. Let's finish reading the rest of this portion of the chapter. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Wow, you talk about a legacy. 84, fasting and praying, hanging out in the temple night and day. As I read through this this week, I was overcome with the first verse, 21, and honestly I couldn't get past that verse. Uh, The rest of it was just for information's sake and for us to round the story out a little bit about how awesome Jesus was and how much God gave us signs to prove that he indeed was the child. But I get to verse 21, and on the eighth day, it was time to circumcise him. We alluded to this uh, lightly last time. But on the eighth day, something really physically happens inside of a male's body. In Genesis 17, God specifically directed Abraham to circumcise newborn males on the eighth day. My question was, why the eighth day? What's so special about the eighth day? Why not seven, the day of perfection? Why not six, the number of man? Why not ten? Why eight? In 1935, Professor H. Dam proposed the name vitamin K for the factor in foods that help prevent hemorrhaging in baby chicks. So we now know that vitamin K is responsible for the production by the liver, by the way, of the element known as prothrombin. Prothrombin, that's a tongue twister. If vitamin K is deficient, there will be a, Prothrombin deficiency and hemorrhaging may occur. Hang with me here. Oddly, it is only in the fifth through the seventh days of the newborn male's life that vitamin K is present in adequate quantities, five through seven. Vitamin K, coupled with this prothrombin, causes blood coagulation, which is important in any surgical procedure. So Holt and McIntosh of Holt Pediatrics observed that a newborn infant was particularly sus- susceptibly, uh, susceptible to bleeding between the second and the fifth days of life. And obviously, then, if vitamin K is not produced in sufficient quantities until days five through seven... It would be wise then to not have any kind of surgery or any kind of bleeding going on in a young child's life because of that lack of coagulation of the blood. But why did God specify day eight? Well, here it is. On the eighth day, the amount of prothrombin present actually is elevated above 100% of its normal amount. Eighth day, all of a sudden, the chart goes, Whoop! this prothrombin is elevated in the human body, as is the only day, the eighth day is the only day in the male's life in which this will be the case under normal conditions. And if surgery is performed, day eight is the perfect day to do it. Moral of the story, if you're going to have surgery, go back to eight years old, eight days old. That's the perfect day to have it. Dr. McMillan observed, We should commend the many hundreds of workers who labored at great expense over a number of years to discover that the safest day to perform circumcision is the eighth day. Yet as we congratulate medical science for this recent finding, we can almost hear the leaves of the Bible turning and rustling. They would, be, they would like to remind us that 4,000 years ago, God initiated circumcision with Abraham. Abraham did not pick the eighth day after centuries of trial and error. Neither he nor any of his company from the ancient city of Ur and the Chaldees ever had been circumcised. It was a day picked by the creator of vitamin K himself. How I many you know God knows who you are? God knows how you're made, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. As I look at this, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. I'm wrestling with the direction the Lord wants me to go here, because there's... there's There's tensions in Scripture. There's tensions in life. Some of us have experienced those tensions. The tension of healing and not being healed. The word saying we could be healed and though some of us are not healed. We have the tension of the natural and the supernatural. We have the tension of the physical and the spiritual. Now, the natural and the supernatural and the physical and the spiritual may indeed look like the same thing, but they are are different tensions. In the natural, there's a natural order of things. It's natural for women to have babies 40 years of age and younger, and today way early into their teen years, and sometimes pushing the bottom edge of that as well. But it's not natural for an 84-year-old lady to have a baby. And so sometimes God takes what's natural and he supersedes the natural with something that's supernatural. And what we saw in Elizabeth's life was a supernatural intervention by God upon a woman's body. Now in the physical realm and the spiritual realm, we have this what you and I know as the physical part of everything we can touch, taste, hear, and see, and smell. That's our physical realm. But there is a spiritual realm that is equally real, although many of us have never tasted and seen anything in and of that spiritual realm. And we have that spiritual realm showing up to us throughout the Christmas story where these spiritual beings pop out of nowhere and intervene and interject themselves into people's lives. Angels, as we're we're told and it's recorded in Scripture for us, angels just show up. We have God himself speaking to individuals. We have the Holy Spirit speaking to individuals. We have this this spiritual being, Jesus, becoming uh, a child, taking on the flesh, which was once spirit, now becoming flesh for you and I. There are multiple kinds of tensions that we, we sense and feel as we, we look at Scripture. We have the tension of the present and the tension of the future. Whenever you read Bible prophecy and any you go through the Old Testament, it's prophetic words spoken by Isaiah, Malachi, Zechariah, and many of the Old Testament prophets. As they're prophesying, many times the prophecy would have a today factor to it but it would have this forecasted measure to it that many times would be thousands of years in the future that would prophesy about the coming of Jesus or John the Baptist as we saw through the previous weeks in our study. And you and I have that tension of the present and tension of the future. We live in the present and yet our heart longs, our heart longs for heaven. Our heart longs for the day when all of this physical life with its trappings of sickness and disease and heartache, yes, it has its joys, yes, it has its measures of blessing, yes, it has its measure of God's working power through us and the presence of the Holy Ghost on us, and there are things he wants us to do now in the present. But there's that thing inside of us, that tension of Paul said to be, I I, I long to be with you, but to be absent from this body, that I get to be present with the Lord. But it's needful that I stay here. And we're caught in between that tension of being here and yet wanting to be there. And somebody said we're all really wanting to get to heaven. None of us just want to die to get there, Right? So we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come. There's the tension of, throughout Scripture, the tension of the law and grace. The law that was very harsh and very rigid and very strict and man was given the law really only to show the wickedness of themselves, to really be a pointer to the sinfulness of man and their hopelessness and their condition of being unable to ever go towards the holiness of God. And then we have this issue of grace that appears in the New Testament that he is able to come in and through the power of Jesus Christ, fulfill all the law. He doesn't abolish it. He doesn't do away with it. He says everything that's in the law, all those requirements that are there, those requirements of perfection, those requirements that you and yourself could never keep, I want you to know as the Son of God, I'm stepping into time and I'm going to fulfill Every single one of those. What a tension that is. Then we have this tension in our text today in verse 21. The te- tension of the old covenant and the tension of the new covenant. Things were about to change, but they hadn't changed yet. And so Jesus was still born under the law, as Galatians four, 4 says. The fullness of time God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. And so because he was under the law, he still had to abide by the law. And the law said on the eighth day that he had to be circumcised. And as I looked at the old covenant, what I noticed was, in fact, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, we have this covenant that God makes with Abram. Genesis 17. I only hear a few Bibles turning. I know we all have iPads, right, and phones now. They've got to come up with an app on those that sounds like pages turning. So while you're looking for your thing, it sounds like you're turning a page. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Well, that's a big ticket to fill, isn't it? Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, this is the covenant that God's referring to that previously had spoken to, to Abram as well. Now, here he is, Abram, way up in years. Way up in Years. And later we hear, and I believe it's in Hebrews, where it says it's accredited, or maybe Romans, that it said accredited to Abraham, Abraham, that his faith was accredited him because he believed. Now imagine that this prophetic word was spoken over Abram's life before he was ever Abraham. This prophetic word was spoken over him, and now he's in his nineties, and all of those years, the Scripture says that he did not waver upon the promise i, I got to stop here for a minute. i got to stop here for a minute because I'm thinking 94 years old and having this prophetic word spoken over your life in a young age. And I want to ask you this morning, how many of you have had times in your life when you know that God has spoken something to you, you know that you know, and when the promise hasn't come through, when you thought it should come through, you wavered on the promise You begin to question God. You begin to wonder if God's word was true. You begin to wonder if he really meant you. And maybe it was just me thinking that to myself. And we think all kinds of things. We begin to rationalize what the Lord spoke to us. But when the Lord speaks a word to you, everything in that word is the, is is filled with everything needed to perform what it is. He doesn't care if he has to go outside the tension of the natural to do something supernatural to make it happen. Abraham and Sarah, another picture of God intervening in humanity. Sarah, she gets told she's going to have a baby in her old age, and she, oh my goodness. She laughs. Abraham, although he didn't waver at this, he had to be wondering, what in the world? God, you promised this. I'm, I'm getting old. How is it ever going to happen? Would you say this phrase with me, that nothing is impossible with God? Say that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. I want to say today that don't get locked in the here and now. Don't get so locked into this physical realm that we miss that other realm called the spiritual realm. Don't get so involved in the natural realm, the things that you and I know as natural order, that we can't allow God to step outside of that or supersede that with something supernatural. Listen to me. The season we're going into, God's going to disturb some order. God's going to do some messing up of things that you and I always thought were this way and this way and this way. And God says in the story of the parable, if you're not going to come and do the will of the Father, then you go out to the highways and byways and you compel them to come in. In other words, those who are lost and broken, those who never opened or, or darkened a church door, those who never cared a thing about God, God's going to call them the Spirit of God. We talk about this great revival in the last day. He's He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. That Spirit is going to go out and He's going to cause this harvest to come forth. And people are going to come in and people are going to be receiving the, the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're going to be receiving gifts into their lives. And God's going to release that. Don't you get caught up in, well, the pastor has to do it. Because God's going to begin to release some of those seemingly unnatural people to do some supernatural things. And if we as a church can't see that in sense, and if we as a church aren't going to get in and say, God, I'm hungry for something supernatural, if we as a church are not going to find ourselves fasting and praying for God's power to be on our life, I'm promising you that God will bypass us, and he will bring it to a people who are hungry for something that's real and tangible. The world doesn't want our religion but they need our Savior. They don't really care about what goes on inside of these worlds, these walls, but what they care about is when Jesus Christ transforms their life. And I just feel like we've got to this place that we've become so religious that we've, we've, we, we get uncomfortable even when the Holy Spirit starts to move. We don't, we don't even know how to operate in the moving of the Holy Spirit. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, when the Holy Spirit starts moving, you kind of go into checkout mode. Okay, we'll let those weird people do their thing. I'm gonna sit here with my arms crossed and when they get done you know, shouting and hollering and all that, uh, you know, we'll say amen and go home. It's about time to kick the shoes off and put the feet in the water and feel how good that flow feels. Time to step down into it where it gets up to your ankles and feel the goodness of God. You know, last Sunday when we were, uh, was it Sunday, Wednesday, whatever day we were, Chris, we were at uh, Sister Wiley's, Ginger, you bless my heart so much. I, I know just pointing her out, I'm embarrassing her, and I apologize, it's not my intention. But Ginger is just a quiet girl, and she sensed that the Lord was speaking to her about us going to Sister Wiley's house and, and surrounding her house and praying for Sister Wiley's healing. And what the Lord spoke to her was there was to be no gaps in the circle. And on the way to that prayer around the house, I was kind of looking at the crowd thinking, boy, I hope we can circle that house. So I saw a neighbor, Ryan Jones, who goes to Overflow Church, and I said, Ryan, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just putting up some lights. I said, we're having a prayer meeting, come on! So he grabbed a couple of his kids and came along with us. I want to tell you that it was just enough to go around the house. We held hands. Here we are, face up against the house. We were in the bushes and everything. We, there was no room around us. We were up against the wall of that house, and we prayed. But what really blessed me was when we left that house, well, after we got done praying, we went to the door. Sister Wiley had these bloodshot red eyes, and she had been weeping the whole time because she was watching it on the internet. And she saw that this church, that her church, was going to come. And they loved her so much. And God thought so much about Sister Wiley that He laid it on Ginger's heart to go and surround her house and to pray for her. So Sister Wiley had her own time of just being with God and tears streaming down her face before we ever got there. And she was a mess. She was just a mess say she was just overwhelmed with God's goodness but when we left that time and we started walking down the street everyone's headed back to their cars by the way God gave us a beautiful warm day for that in the midst of all this nasty weather we had a beautiful warm day to go do that and pray isn't God good we walked down the street I was the last person pulling up the rear and I looked ahead of me and Ginger was there and it seemingly that she was kind of pulling away from everyone else and I noticed she was just walking down the street with her hand raised. Man, it blessed my heart so much. I thought, God, that's a heart that's just hungry for you to move on someone's life. Folks, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. God's just wanting to find a hungry heart. How about you? Have you become so cold by church? You know that church can really kill you if you're not careful? Church can just kill you. It can take the life right out of you. But when you find the presence in the church, life changes When I realize that I'm not going to a church, when I realize I am the church, when I realize that I don't have to ask for God's power, I realize I have God's power. When I realize that I don't have to say, God, would you heal, that God's already given me the authority to do that, I can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus said greater things than this shall... What's the next word? You... Now look at your neighbor and say, you. We, when I was showering this morning again, I love the shower, thank you Jesus for speaking to me in the shower. I've got to develop a pen and a system that writes in the shower because God speaks some things to me and I don't always remember them by the time I get to paper. But... (laughs) there was this this thing the Lord was dealing with me about. For so long, the church has left the ministry up to the professionals. Holy Spirit, just remind me what that was. And it was something like, when we leave the ministry up to the professionals, we strip the church of its authority. When we leave the ministry up to the professionals, we strip the church of its power. God never anywhere in Scripture puts a label on a preacher like somehow they're super spiritual beings that have all the gifts and everything in them. The scripture talks to us about the body that we all need each other and that we function together. Every joint, ligament, muscle, all of that, it works together. And so we we need each other. And when we get to, well, this, this is a sense like the Lord was trying to bring me back in history <clears throat> and show me the point in time where this transition happened where we gave this, we, we hired professionals to do the work. And when that happened, something happened, something happened in his kingdom. Disorder came. At the time when Constantine. Legalized religion. I think something, although it looked right because the church is being persecuted, it looked right when Constantine legalized it and all of a sudden persecution stopped. It looked right. The church sighed a sigh of relief, but the sigh was so loud and so strong that it sent waves into the demonic realm. It was like arrest. They let down their guard. And this transference of what once was power in the church, that New Testament power where men and women were able to just go and lay hands on the sick and they would recover. The blinded eyes were open and lame uh, limbs were, were, were healed and, and People were just set free. Jesus said, that's what we, you and I are to do. And the tension I'm feeling today is the tension of religion and the tension of the kingdom. Religion has a form of godliness, as Timothy would say, but denies the power of it that I can go to a building, I can do a religious exercise, but I'm not required throughout the rest of the week to have any transformational thoughts or ideas or action going on in my life. It only happens in that building. And the only time the Lord's going to speak to me is when I go to church. The tension I'm feeling is God's wanting to release the kingdom and he's wanting to address things this idol of religion that many of us have held on to for way too long. I understand this religion. I grew up in this thing. My grandparents were believers. My father was a pastor. I grew up in church. Church. I understand this religious thing. And what happens if we're not careful inside this religious thing? We can we can start you you know when the power and the presence of God is not there when the people inside this religious organization start bickering and fighting. I've grown up in church way too long to see way too many fights to be way too many annual business meetings where some supposedly godly man stands up and spews out carnality and flesh and garbage out of his mouth in front of the whole congregation and others jump on board and herald that. It isn't any different than the Sadducees and the Pharisees of Jesus' day that stood with Pilate and said, of the very Lamb of God, crucify him! Religion is easy to disguise the lack of God's presence. My heart's cry has been God, release your kingdom. Release your kingdom. There are times I sit in my office during the week and I'm preparing messages. And Can I just be transparent and honest with you? When I was in Bible college, we talked about sermons and messages. There are times in my office I'm sitting there and it's three quarters of the way through the week and I realized that what I just got done preparing was a sermon. Sermon is a religious talk about spiritual things. And my heart just aches after spending days of poring over scriptures and various things, putting something on paper so that the people in the congregation would say, well, great, great sermon, Pastor. My heart aches and there are so many times I get to Thursday and Friday and I say, oh God, I, I, I put so much time in that, I, I can't do that and I have, I have, to, I have to push it aside. And it leaves me in this mode of, wow, now what am I going to do? God, I need to hear a word. See, when God gives a word, it becomes a message. And at 53, I'm tired of preaching sermons. At whatever age you are, you're tired of hearing sermons. You didn't get up this morning and say, wow, I can't wait to go hear Pastor Joe preach a sermon. I can promise you that. That was not even the first thought in your head, nor the last. Not one of you in this room. Now, do you realize God wants to give you a message? Ryan, what the Lord put on your heart in prayer time was a message today. Message, don't chew your nails off. you're going to need those someday. <laughs> A message. God's given pastors to the church to equip the saints. Can anybody finish the verse for me? Do the work of the ministry. Can we just can we just stop right there for a second? Can you ask I'm not throwing stones. I just simply want us to have an open heart today. Can you ask yourself, what am I doing ministry-wise? Let's make it a little more personal. Who am I? Personally, ministering to, and if we can't answer that question, then there's a tension in the room—tension the of religion and the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, Scripture says that we are all priests; we're a royal priesthood not just the guy behind the pulpit, but we are all a royal priesthood. And we have the seal of his name upon our lives. And we have the seal of promise, the Holy Spirit living in us. And that power is in us to touch lives around us. In days past, when something happens, we call the pastor. Pastor, quick, come. Come. My aunt's demon-possessed. Can you come cast the demon out of her? Pastor, come, quick. My little boy stubbed his toe. He's got a hangnail. Would you come and pray for him? But this day, in the day of the kingdom, God's raising up a different kind of people, kind of people who know who they are in Jesus Christ, kind of people who can walk under the banner and power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit And they can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. As I looked in Genesis, we didn't get to look at it too much this morning, and I looked in Genesis. God says, this is my part. That I'll multiply, I'll make you many nations. Then he says to Abram, and your part is circumcision. And finishing off the rest of the chapter in 17, that Abram gathers all those who are males, who are foreigners, who are slaves, who are whatever part they play. If they were under his umbrella of leadership, they were all circumcised on one day. How many of you know that's a painful day for a bunch of guys? And here's Abram, 90-something years old, 94, was it? Circumcised at 94. 94. What I noticed in the Old Covenant was that God requires blood of us. In the new, re- new Covenant, He requires blood of Himself. We come to the communion table and we read 1 Corinthians 11, where this is my covenant, the New Covenant, in my blood when God required man in the old covenant to shed blood and now he turns around and he says because I am going to be the substitute for you I'm going to be the propitiation the one who steps in and substitutes where you had to shed blood I'm going to step in I'm going to do that for you I'm going to pay the complete price for everything that you owe I am going to shed my blood and not just a circumcision of the flesh But of his entire body and eventually his life, he gave all that he had for you and I so that we can walk in this thing called the kingdom of God. John didn't come preaching the church, he came preaching the kingdom. The church is not a place. It's the ekklesia, the Greek word meaning the called out ones. It's just a group of people. It's not just us in this wall. At this very moment, there is the ekklesia meeting downtown in various other buildings. And can you imagine how awesome it's going to be? Can you imagine the tension that's going to happen when the ecclesia, the called out ones, become the ones who understand who we are in him? We take our rightful place as kings and priests and we begin to exercise the kingdom of God in all of our lives. If we want Chambersburg to be transformed, it's not going to happen by the pastors. It's going to happen by the church, which I happen to be part of. Every Wednesday morning, there's a group of pastors that meet at 6 o'clock in the morning who walk throughout the city praying over strategic places. Masonic Lodge is one of them. praying over strategic areas in our city that God would bring down strongholds that his kingdom would come. But that's not going to change Chambersburg. The church will change Chambersburg. Because it'll happen at the workplace. It'll happen at the break table. It'll happen in the grocery store. It'll happen when God puts compassion on your heart for someone who is in need. The other day in the middle of a snowstorm, I went to get some Vicks puffs from my wife. She loves Vicks. It feels good on her nose when she's sneezing and coughing and all the other things you do with your nose. And I was traveling down Route 30, headed towards CVS, and I noticed this young lady walking up the hill. The snow was coming down really heavy at that time. And she had a little boy, and I could tell she was struggling with the little boy. It appeared to me that she was yelling at him. And he was lagging behind, runny nose, he just looked bad, poor little guy. I I pulled over off the other side of the road because they were headed up 30 and I was going down and so I pulled over and I said, could you use a ride somewhere? And she said, I guess so, in kind of frustration and she got the little boy in the car, his name was Noah. Noah. Gave Noah a tissue and gave them a ride home. They lived about a half mile down Craddlestown Road. By the time they got there, it would have been really, really cold. And as she got to step out of the car, I said, hey, I just want you to know God loves you. And he sent me to give you a ride today. God bless you. And she stopped. It was like I, like I hit her with something. she spun back around and she looked in the car and she said, I thank you. and God bless you too. And I could tell from our conversation she was not by any means a godly woman. But the kingdom of God invaded her life that day. All I'm saying is we don't have to be some kind of super spiritual people To invade the darkness. The smallest of light penetrates and dispels the greatest of darkness. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We look at the birth of Jesus as the the pinnacle of miracles there, but what we've seen is you, you filled the skies with miracles. You filled barns with miracles. You filled lonely places with individuals with miracles. Over and over and over again, you built within this one story in Scripture many signs to show us how much you loved us. You gave us so much just in this one story. God, help us not to miss the love that you have for us. Father, I pray that just as you came in that dark, dingy, probably very smelly place, in the barn where you were born in just a little stable and uh, placed in a manger, wrapped in Just rags of cloth. Help us to understand that even in our seemingly humble conditions, our homes aren't large, they're not fancy, we don't have much to celebrate, we don't have a lot of finances, we don't live in castles and drive around in fancy cars, but what we have, God, our humble, broken conditions we give them to you today God and we say Holy Spirit would you be birthed in me today would you allow your kingdom to come today in me God would you allow me to rise up and be the church would you give me a voice would you give me a message for a single mom walking in a snowstorm Would you give me a word for the waiter at the restaurant? Would you give me a message for someone? Give me a message of your kingdom. Father, what I want to close with today is, Lord, some of us here today need to have a circumcision done. Not a circumcision of the flesh, but a circumcision of our heart. Lord, you would indeed peel away, strip away, cut away whatever is in the way, Lord God, that you would want to be done there. Give us a circumcision of the heart that our hearts would be in covenant with you. Anything that's hindering that, anything that's hindering your kingdom, God. Would you just take time right now and wait where you're at? Would you just somehow express what I just prayed? If that's on your heart, if that's your will, if that's your desire, would you pray that to the Lord today? Express something from your heart to him concerning that today. Would you do that? If you want to be more than just going to church, you want to be the church. Father, we just release ourselves to you today, God. Come and search us, Lord, in our hearts. Know our hearts, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and change this atmosphere. Change this atmosphere, Lord God. Change us from religious to kingdom, Lord God. Change us from religious to kingdom, God. Change us from religious to kingdom, Lord God. Release your people to do the work of the ministry. Release us, God. We don't need more teaching. We just need more obedience. Teach us to obey what you say, Lord. Trust and obey. As the old songwriter, the hymn writer said, trust and obey for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Help us to trust the word we hear and obey it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord go with you. May he make his face to shine upon you. Can you imagine that God's face shining upon you? Understand that he delights over you. He dances over you, sings over you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you peace. That word peace carries in it the word prosperity. Oneness. Cause your people to prosper and be at one, Lord, with you. As you were with your heavenly father. John 17, where you said, Lord, make them one as we are one. Give us that kind of peace and prosperity, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.